seated. Amen, indeed. The scripture this morning um, is from our old pal Luke, uh, chapter 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays, on, lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Chapter 15 of Luke is a big one. Just about every word of it is wrapped in, up in parables and some very well-known parables at that. We have just read two, and the third story in this trilogy is the prodigal son. That particular parable is not shared at the in the lectionary at this time because we already did it in Lent. All three are about repentance and redemption. Both are themes throughout the Lenten season, and that makes the prodigal son especially a very powerful parable at that time. Now, since I know you all hold on to every word I say like they are made of solid gold, I won't recount the entire prodigal son. It will, after all, get us a little off track from this week's exegesis. But remember that it is the story of a son who leaves home, squanders his inheritance, only to come, to, humili uh, to come home humiliated, but welcomed by his father, who loves and celebrates him. As we meet with Jesus in this text, he is sitting amongst those who are known to be sinners, and tax collectors. The tax collectors have their own banner, for Pete's sake. These were people that had done some unsavory things in their time, and it is no secret of who they were. The term sinner here does not just gloss over the idea of, oh, well, we're all sinners. No, these people that many in Jesus' time, these people were that many in Jesus' time would never have been caught dead with. And here again, we have the Pharisees and the scribes noticing with whom Jesus is speaking and keeping company, and they are not happy. As a matter of fact, the text says that they were grumbling. They were displeased at such a sight. Shocking, I know. 
It is an important reminder at this time that we recall that the Pharisees were experts, experts in the Hebrew texts and that the scribes were experts in the law. And both groups prided themselves on their knowledge and adherence to the laws of both Moses and the empire. In response to the grumbling of these so-called experts, Jesus tells them stories of celebration. As Jesus was faced with yet more backlash from the Pharisees, he realized, he realized he has yet another opportunity to try and get them to see what they have right in front of them. He tells them these stories in an effort to show them when they should celebrate, when they should grumble, and when the proper when what is the proper response to the good news. Before Jesus is even able to get into the real meaning of what he is going to say here, the good news is being shared with the sinners and the tax collectors, and the Pharisees are not happy about that. They didn't really want Jesus themselves, but they didn't want anybody else to have him either. And they certainly did not think someone who claims to be so versed in Jewish laws should ever allow themselves to be seen with such filth from society. This can be a hard text to wrap our heads around. Again, though the text does not say what the sins of, of the people that were listening to Jesus were, we know that, that it was not a broad description of those of human birth. These were sinners. These were the type of people that most of us spend our time making sure that we don't encounter. Possibly for petty crimes, but possibly some of them may have been more corrupt and dangerous than we would like to believe. And Jesus was talking to them? Jesus was spending his time telling them the good news? This was beyond the Pharisees being upset with those who were on the outside or grumbling at the wrong people. This was beyond just grumbling at those who disagree. This was wanting to exclude anyone who was not of the same kind. Anyone who didn't fit into the understanding that the Pharisees had in their minds. One of the classes I took in my last semester in seminary was called The Kingdom of God and the Synoptic Gospels. And we studied at great length these parables and their places within the different books. For those keeping score at home, the parable of the lost sheep shows up in Matthew 18. And the Pharisees grumble that Jesus eats with the sinners and tax collectors in Mark 2. As we were talking about the parables, especially that of the lost sheep, the conversation came around about what the shepherd would do with the 99 while he was out looking for the lost one. Would it be economically wise to just leave basically your whole flock alone just to find one sheep? Were the shepherds owners of the flock or did they work for ranchers and would thus have to answer if even one sheep was lost? Would any of us even dream about leaving a whole flock alone with the threat of wolves and nothing to protect them? Would the shepherd make sure the flock was secure inside a paddock or a corral before going out? 
The class was three hours long, and I think we managed to fill most of it with, such, with just such scenarios. In Jesus' time, shepherds would gather with usually at least two other shepherds at a time and join their flocks up, bringing them all together. And the average size of one flock was indeed about 100 sheep per shepherd. So when a sheep was lost, and because they usually worked in groups, a shepherd could and would leave his 99 in the safety of his friends and go and look for the one sheep that had lost its way. And what this parable and what we learn from Jesus is that there is a shared joy. The joy is not exclusive to one person, just as the good news is not exclusive information for only some. The joy comes from, the, from one and goes out to many. The good news is for everyone, not just those who have been deemed acceptable in society or in a community. It is not just that the shepherd found the sheep. It is that he goes back to the group and celebrates that the sheep is back in the fold. It is not that the woman found the lost coin, but that she celebrates with her friends that which was lost and had caused her great worry. It was now back and everything would be all right. So what makes this different than just finding what was lost is that others are brought into the celebration as well. It is a shared joy. So when we go back to the first verses of this text, the sinners and the tax collectors are gathered around Jesus. What should the Pharisees and the scribes be doing? That which was lost has been found. Those who were deemed beyond reach were sitting and listening to Jesus Christ. This is not a bad thing. This is not something to be upset about. This is something to celebrate. Their first thoughts should not be to stick up their noses or to shame the sinners further or to find a way to do away with Jesus. They should be celebrating that perhaps this man is going to be able to get through to these people. These lost sheep, these lost coins, these prodigal sons, those who were once lost and are now found. Grace, love, and righteousness are flowing from the words of Christ. They are flowing into the minds and souls of the sinners and the tax collectors. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumble. As per usual, they are missing the entire point. The point is, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner whose heart and mind are changed toward the goodness of Jesus Christ. There is joy in God's heart for each and every sheep that has been found, for each and every coin that has been found, for each and every child that returns home. These lessons keep coming back over and over again. 
Do not put a stumbling block in front of your neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. Rejoice in what was found. Care for the widow and the orphan. That which you do to the least of these, you do to me. There is a theme there, my friends. There is a theme in what Jesus was seeing in the people that were claiming to have agency over holy scripture and holy living. And they were missing the mark. These lessons come back again and again because there is still a need to learn them. In the parables that we read today, the sheep and the coin do nothing to make sure that they're reunited with the others. Granted, one of these things is indeed an inanimate object, so it's really not doing anything to get lost either. But the sheep and the coin are found because those that loved them, those that are incomplete without them, do not give up hope on finding them. This is the unrelenting sweeping and searching that God has on all of us and all that have lost their way to him. And when that which was lost has been found, of course, there should be celebration. Thank you, God. I have found my sheep. Not, oh, crap, you again. I mean, unless it's a really terrible sheep, then, you know. Some people are jerks. What can I say? Everyone is invited to the celebration. Everyone is invited to Christ's love and grace and mercy. So the question will be, becomes, will you show up at the party? Will you set aside self-righteousness, set aside exclusive behaviors, set aside preconceived notions, and allow yourselves to come to the party? Or will you grumble and huff and plot and deny? Like many of the questions that scripture has been providing us lately, the answers are simply yes or no. Yes or no. So here's a little something for us to think about. When we look at the players in this passage and in Jesus in Jesus's context, look at the sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees, and the scribes. Who is lost? And who is found? Who is still struggling? And who has already found Jesus? Is it possible to be righteous and still need to be found? Yeah. When we are on the outside of the celebration, we are the ones who are lost, the ones that need to be found. No matter what society says is correct or what we've been told is what it means to be successful, without celebration in the good news of Jesus Christ, we remain lost. I don't particularly like parties. I'm much more the type of a person that prefers to be at home watching the big game in my PJs. 
And actually, I'm really not a fan of competition, so it's more likely that I'm just at home knitting or reading a book. I know how to party. But oh my, there is something fantastic about celebrating a long-shot victory like no other. Joining with strangers in shared joy. I was living in Chicago when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Now I'm not really much of a Cubs fan, honestly. It was just easier to get there than the South Side, so I'd go to more Cubs games. But during that series, there was something in the air. There was something about a stretch of 108 years searching for something that kept eluding players and fans. There was something about celebrating an event that my grandparents had only heard stories about. As the game went on, you could feel the tension in the entire city. Everyone was clenched. And that amazing moment when in the 10th inning of, the, of game seven with two outs, third baseman Chris Bryant gets the ball in time to throw it to Anthony Rizzo at first. And the Cubs win! The eruption of emotion like a shockwave from Wrigleyville all the way up into Evanston. You could hear people yelling for joy in their homes through their windows. Complete strangers were hugging in the streets, the music, the laughter, the tears. I have to think that is only a fraction of what it is like for God when we hear the good news, when we come to our senses, when we come back with changed hearts and open minds. Amen.